how do I coach people mm-hmm. into recognizing the feelings of their audience? What matters to them? Mm-hmm. What are their pain points? And how does your product or your service help meet that? And that is what opened up a lot of people's eyes. Welcome to BizCast Greater Lacrosse, a weekly podcast from Biz News. We bring you news from the business community. I am your host and founder, Vicki Markison, and joining me today is John Reiner. He is a pastor and public speaker coach, which is not a usual combination. It's not. No, it's not. Which but I came, love it. Which came first? <laughs> the pastor. Pastor definitely came first. Yeah, I've been in some form of ministry or pastoral position for 20 years. So that one definitely came first. And open up opportunities in, in other places. And obviously, being a pastor, you have to have speaking skills. You do. I think it's one of those things that you might take for granted even in ministry, how much you use it and then realizing how much it's not used or maybe not something that's often upskilled in or learned outside of the ministry world. You just do it because you're always doing it. Yes. Yeah. And I will say it's interesting because a lot of guests that I have a lot of what they do is realizing the talent that you have, right? So obviously people in your pastoral audience, members, parishioners, whatever you want to call them, appreciate a strong speaker. I would like to think so. Yes. However, I'm guessing you're going to school and that's not quite the main emphasis. No, they, you have classes on how to teach or preach, how to put something together, how to craft a presentation, but then it's basically on you. Yeah. So you could have some people, they go through four years, six years, eight years of college, seminary. They learn a lot of information, but it's never translated into how to use your tone. How do you get comfortable in front of people? How do you engage your audience? So I think some people just learn along the way. Some people emphasize it more in their own personal development and some people don't. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk your path before we get into technique, right? So where'd you grow up? Grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah, so two hours south of here in La Crosse. Loved it. Family was there. Extended family was there. My wife's family was there. So I spent, I've been up in La Crosse now for 10 years. Everything else was medicine. And how did you get here? I was doing, like I said, ministry jobs down in Madison. And then for about a year and a half, I took a step away from full-time ministry and managing health clubs, working for a health club chain down in Madison. Shout out to the Princeton Club. And I love the family. I I love the businesses. And it was just something different. And so I was managing health clubs, two of them at the time. And my phone goes off and it says Shane Holden. Shout out to Shane. He's a senior pastor at First Free. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, John, what are you doing? Because he he came from Madison as well. He was a church planner in Madison. And he basically said, there's this church that's growing and growing and we could use some help. What are you doing nowadays? Are you interested? And so that was 2014. My wife and I moved up here and we've been here since. And I do want to give a shout out to First Free because they're the ones who brought you here. So (laughs) that is not your standard church. It's a very large church. And so to tie this into the topic, how did you see that honing your speaking skills or were you already dialing in on that in other ways that you were serving? I was speaking before because it was like, like we already said, it's a part of ministries that you're teaching and speaking. So I was doing it before. What happened with First Free is when I came up here, it was a larger church than I was used to speaking at. So absolutely. And at first there was a tendency to one kind of just go back to the basics. So I remember I made a joke about it. We still make a joke about it. I would go up there to speak and have 30 some pages of every single word written out. 
even the first line, hello, my name is John Reiner, as if I would, <laughs> as if I would forget that. So I would just write everything out and I would treat it more like a script and I would try to make it come alive, but it was much more like a script. And there is that thing, I don't know how much it translates to other industries, but there's that thing where you, you want to fit in, you want to match the current DNA and expression. And so I always saw Shane as a very gifted speaker, a very talented teacher. And I grew up in Madison having gone to his churches. And so there was that like, oh man, I, I wonder if one day I could do what he does the way that he does it. And so there was at first that temptation of, I think I need to be like someone. Mm. And so I think I, this is what they like. This is what they used to. I need to be like that expression. And since then, it's I've come out of that mold and realized I have my own expression that I want to give mm -hmm. and my own expression to teaching and speaking. And so First Free has definitely allowed me the space to become my own presenter. And so we have a teaching team now and every single person is somewhat different. And I definitely gravitate towards the storytelling aspect. And so I don't go up there with notes anymore. I don't have any notes when I go up there. And I always start with a story. And that's the way that I try to engage the messages, the audience is let's dive into the story and find the meaning from it. And so First Free helped me in that way where I had the environment to blossom, to expand my own expression, to not feel like I had to fit a mold or someone else's expression. I could be my own. And so First Free definitely was always encouraging that way. So how did the public speaking part come about yes. as, a, as a standalone business? Yeah, it was a, it's been a process for the last couple of years. And part of it just came from, I love what I do at First Free and I love the opportunities that I have there. And so I don't want to miss, I don't speak out of line in that. I love what I do, but maybe some of your listeners can relate to this. You and I just talked about it. There's this resonance with it that sometimes there's just a stirring that says, I love what I'm doing, but I wonder if there's more. I wonder if there's something else I could do. I wonder if there's another expression. I don't want to live with a sense of regret that I had an idea. I had something more in me and I didn't chase it down. There's that internal stirring that says, hmm, I want to give this a try, right? Success, the succeed or fail, I want to go for it. Then there's also this sometimes a pressure if you find yourself in a certain job or position that sometimes spoken or not, it, this is all you can be. Is this. You're pigeonholed. Yeah. 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 And I'm not saying anyone necessarily said that, but there's that feeling sometimes of if you step out and do something else, if you try something else, did you abandon the first thing or were you not committed to the first thing? Are you too divided from the first thing? Is your heart really not invested in it? And that was never the case. There's just something I wanted to express creativity a little bit different. And so long story shorter, I started doing an internal inventory. What comes naturally to me? Because Vicky, I didn't want to start a new trade. I didn't want to go back and start learning how to code website. <laughs> that wasn't me. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't looking for that much of a shift. I wanted to just do something else that was natural to me. That could be a creativity expression. It could be a supplemental income. It could be whatever, my own thing. And public speaking was the thing that came to me. I like it. I enjoy it. I really like seeing other people get better at it. I love helping people find their voice. And I'd done it before in workshops and things, but never in a business side. So I started looking up things online, Googling it. One company kept coming up over and over again called the Moxie Institute out of California. And they basically, even though they weren't hiring anyone, they weren't looking to hire anyone. I had a Zoom call that was set up with their CEO on their request. And she hired me on the spot and asked me if I could be one of their contracted master trainers. And so for about a year and a half, I'm able to go either do in-person workshops for people, virtual workshops for companies, or one-on-one -on -one coaching opportunities. And that's been fun. 
they're really quick trips. So it's uh, you leave on a Tuesday. After I'm done with work on a Tuesday at the church, I drive to Minneapolis. I fly out. I do a workshop Wednesday morning. I fly back Wednesday night type thing. Like, it's just really quick. Just yeah. went to Arizona and did one. But it's so fun. You're around a new group of people and they're all eager. They want to get better. They realize that if they could just improve this one skill in their life, it could open up so many opportunities for their career, for their resume, for opportunities for them in general. And so you see them come alive. And I, I love that maybe more than anything else, as I love watching the people come alive and get better at something that they're normally hesitant to do. And right. you see their confidence come out. So I've been doing that for about a year and a half with the Moxie Institute. And then locally, people started to reach out and say, could you do it for me? Could you help me? Individual business people companies in the area who maybe it's their sales team or their marketing team or their leadership team or their real estate team, whatever it is, I want our group to be better at speaking, communicating. And so I'm able to come in and do workshops for them. So I was able to do it on my own now. And mm -hmm. so there's, I love what I do at First Free. There's opportunities with the Moxie Institute and then also with John Reiner LLC. I'm able to go and just do it on my own. And it's been so life giving. Yeah. To see people's voice come out and see their confidence come out. Yeah, because public speaking is up there in terms of fears, Number right? One, glossophobia. Yeah. Yes. That's what it's called. And so you're going into a group that says, this is my worst fear. How do you mm -hmm. get them over that? Goal setting. As weird as that might sound, I try to start all of my workshops with just asking them, what stands out to you about a really good presenter? So they're able to mirror some of this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I watch Brene Brown. I watch Simon Sinek. I watch fill in the blank with your favorite speaker. I love what they do this. I love how they can engage their audience, blah, blah, blah. Okay. What stands out to you about a really bad speaker? Filler words, monotone, don't know how to use their hand, body language. Okay. Then I get it more personal. So we start with the broad. Mm -hmm. I, I get them thinking about, then we get a little bit closer in. What are your pain points? What stands out to you? And people can usually recognize that. I'm not really good at showing emotion. I'm not really good at changing my tone, whatever it might be. I get really nervous. Okay. And then I ask them the stakes questions. What's at stake here? If you were to improve this, what's the new ceiling? What's the new capacity for you? What's the new potential for you if you could mm -hmm. get better? And a lot of them could say, I could be more confident in my job. Maybe it means that promotion that I missed out on. Maybe it's more clients I'm, I miss sales opportunities for because I just can't communicate it. And then what's the negative stakes? Mm -hmm. If you don't do this, if you don't improve on it, what's it going to mean? And I remember sitting down with a business owner. He owned his own real estate brokerage. And I said, here's what I noticed. Your face is everywhere on billboards. <laughs> You've built a reputation as being really knowledgeable in your field. And maybe some of your listeners can resonate with it. You're recognized. You have a reputation for being really good at what you do. Mm-hmm. But now you're going to start opening your mouth. And, and <laughs> right. so what people know about you is your business acumen, your, your ability to lead, your reputation, the business that you've built. But now you're going to start speaking and there's going to be a disconnect between the credibility of your company and you as a leader. And I want to start leveling out those two levels so yeah. that your ability to speak matches the credibility and reputation that you have a business owner. And for them, that's the sixth question oh my goodness, you're right. I don't want to be discredited. I don't want my reputation to go down business because my public speaking is bad. Mm -hmm. So when I start asking some of those stakes questions, mm -hmm. what's at stake? You start to open up the possibilities for people. Mm -hmm. And then little by little, we start to expand. Introduce yourself. That's a form of public speaking. Mm -hmm. I've had workshops. Let's play two truths and a lie. 
Mm. They have to public speak. They have to think on their toes. They have to improvise. So I start with the low-hanging fruit with the future in mind. And so many people are able to step out then and realize, okay, maybe I can do this. And I'm a big proponent of recognizing victories. So if I see even the smallest thing that someone is doing right, I want to recognize it right away. Because we have these biological neural loops Mm -hmm. that are happening in our head. And most often it's negatively based. So we just keep telling ourselves and reinforcing, I'm not good at this and I'm never going to be good at this. So if I can start bringing positive affirmation to people, it usually opens up their ability to try it more and more. Yes. And it's a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Like I'm going to open my mouth and they're going to see that I am not that person. And so then that feeds the fear as well. Yep. And that's what holds them back. I'm not going to put myself up for that promotion. I'm never going to get it because I can't speak as well as someone. I'll never get that job. I'll never get that sale. I'll never because I can't do this as well as other people. And it just erodes our confidence. The interesting thing from my journalism background is a lot of people obviously are nervous. You put a camera in front of some people who are normally well-spoken and they Mm -hmm. just freeze. And the fear is that imposter piece of, they're going to ask me questions that I can't answer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is just that confidence building of, they don't know the right answer. You are the per- they're you're the expert yeah. in their mind. Yes. They may ask you questions, but you respond confidently because more yes. than they do yeah. or they wouldn't be asking yeah. the questions. Yeah. Why are you here? I've yes. asked people that. Why are you the one giving the presentation? It's part of my job. Why is it a part of your job? Because it comes with my position. How did you get that position? I applied for it. Did anyone else? Yes. You just keep, yes. but it's you. Yeah. It was you. You're the one in that position. You're the one being asked. You got the job and little by little, man, just building people's confidence to be able to step in front. You're right. A lot of people, it's their biggest fear. More than death. Yes. Right? That was Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld's joke. Yes. At a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket <laughs> than given the eulogy. Yeah. It's true. But I think little by little, you start chipping away at those insecurities and the fears by building confidence. Yeah. And, and people find their voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of truth to your comment of feeling pigeonholed. A lot of people say this is the only thing I can do. And not to keep pulling this in for whatever reason, but journalism. I have so many journalists who said, how did you get out of journalism? That's your only skill set. You went to school for broadcast journalism, nothing else. So how do you... It's on a piece of paper. Yes. Yes. I have that as my degree. Yes. Yes. And so I'm guessing a lot of times you are, it sounds like you're doing a lot of career coaching as well. And so if they're saying, I got hired, let's use your example. I got hired as a realtor. What do I know about public speaking? I just know about selling houses. Mm -hmm. How do you get them into that mindset that they can be more? Yeah, I think even just, okay, let's use them. Do you ever talk to people? Yeah, but I'm only talking to one person at a time. I had someone come in who was interested in coaching. They said, well, I don't know that I have experience in public speaking. I just talked to one person at a time. Okay, that's still public. You're still communicating. Mm -hmm. And so I try to bring it into their world of, I'm not necessarily trying to train you to give the next TED Talk. I'm trying to increase your skill set so that you can be better at whatever occupation and industry you are. So there's financial advisors, there's real estate agents, there's tech industry leaders, there's, I want to lead a Bible study at my, whatever it is, but I have information that I want to give or a career that I have. And the one thing that's holding me back is my ability to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And let's use that real estate agent example. I just asked them, how do you approach your client? How do you approach the people who are coming in? How do you do that? And one of my technique things is I always start with the audience first. As presenters, we think, okay, I'm going to give a sales pitch or I'm going to give a briefing or I'm going to talk to the executives or I'm going to whatever. I have to give, inform- what's the information I'm going to give? I think it's a wrong approach. 
who am I talking to? Mm -hmm. Too often as presenters or salespeople or marketing, whatever it is, we give the presentation we want to give, not the one they need to hear. And so I start with the audience. And the real estate example, why are they coming to you? Is a question that I've asked before. Because of our reputation for closings? No, that's not the primary reason they're coming to you. Because of our high integrity as a company? No. Because our CEO is, no. The primary reason they're coming is because they want to buy or sell a property. It's a pain point. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach them? What matters to them? They're, you know, they're a retired couple who want to be closer to family. That's more of a heart issue, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Than just buying a house. How do I talk to them about their life? And how do I relate to them with my tone? How I want them to feel? Now it's the information that I want to give them. Is the information enforcing the feeling I want them to have in order to do the thing that they came to me to do in the first place? It doesn't matter if you're a teacher, a real estate agent, a C-suite executive. It doesn't matter to me. If you're talking to anyone, your communication skills have to improve to be able to communicate to them. Yeah, and you call it storytelling. (laughs) Yeah. Why? A lot of it is storytelling. Some of it's just mechanics of public speaking. How well do I pause? Do I ramble on? Do I use filler words? Those are mechanics. The type of expressions that we use, nowadays more and more, it's storytelling. I see it in marketing. I see it in commercials. I use Mm -hmm. it all the time in my workshop, right? My favorite example is Lincoln Motors, to be honest with you. I don't know if I can just throw out names on this. Of course, you can. Yes. Lincoln Motors. You go back a couple decades ago, Lincoln Motors, their commercial would be, here's our car. Here's the transmission. Here's the miles per gallon. Here's the interior. Look at all the knobs on the couch. Nowadays, it's all right, all right. Yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah. Is your family stressed? So what's the slogan? You need a sanctuary. If I close my eyes, I would learn nothing about that Lincoln car whatsoever. But they're telling a story. They're telling a story to the overworked, overstressed Western society. And what you need is a quiet place. You need somewhere that is your sanctuary. Some place is just you. Mm-hmm. Laundry detergent. They don't tell me what's in the laundry detergent. Never mm-hmm. tell me what's in the laundry detergent. Mm-hmm. But they'll show me kids who are playing soccer or a dog that's in the mud. It's a story. And I think more and more our minds in the business world, in the ministry world, in relationship world, we communicate through stories. And that is becoming more and more the direction that I think even businesses are going in. How do we tell better stories about what we're doing rather than just give people a bunch of information? Yeah. So that's what it is. I help people craft stories for their businesses, help people craft stories with their presentations. Sometimes it's a story story and sometimes it's just recognizing what are the felt needs and the needs of my audience and how do I communicate in a way that captures them. It's funny you say that because it's, Sometimes it's about the headline. Sometimes it's about the title that you have, right? So as a, for example, I remember pushing back against a marketing company because they wanted to turn a name of a program that had a feel to it into Mm -hmm. functionality, right? Mm -hmm. I hear that feeling name and I don't know what it does. Mm -hmm. So the same thing could be said about job titles, right? So have you broached that topic in terms you almost start to get into marketing right Mm -hmm. to say what's the story behind this product you're trying Mm -hmm. to sell have you thought about renaming it to something more feeling or do you get into that realm i talk about the feeling aspect of audiences so i do talk about that and the reason i do that is even science studies are telling us that an adult i was just reading an adult is going to make thirty-four thousand decisions a day that is a lot of decisions right Subconscious, consciously, 34,000 decisions a day. Another study that came out from Psychology Today, I think it was, over 90% of the decisions that we're going to make are based on feelings, not information. 
that should tell us something, right? Yeah. We have a phrase for it. I just went with my gut. Yeah. I just had a, oh, I didn't feel right. It felt, there's so much importance in information. Yes. But I think people make a lot of decisions based on feeling. And that is a direction that I try to encourage whoever I'm coaching or whatever company I'm in is what do I want my audience to do? Mm-hmm. So it's just learning theory, right? Mm-hmm. Do right, feel right, no. So what do I want my audience to do? Mm-hmm. How do I want my audience to feel mm-hmm. in order to do the thing I want them to do? Yep. What do they need to know to feel the way I want them to feel, to do the thing I want them to do? Yeah. And so really at the heart of it is feeling. And so that's how I present to them. If they change job titles or headlines, whatever, that's up to them. But what I'm trying to help them do is engage with the fact that your audiences, your prospective clients, your current clients, whatever it might be, the people looking at your website are making most of their decisions based on feelings. Are you capturing that or are you only giving them information? Which is interesting because your public speaking starts to become a sales pitch, right? Rather than approach it based off of information, what is that? feeling? How do you tell the story of your product being a solution? And granted, I get it. It's not, I I can see salespeople coming into your program going, oh, that will help me with sales. But everyone has to present at some point on boring information. And so when you do have a person who has to present a bunch of graphs, how do you get them into that mindset of telling the story behind the data? So Function is fine. What is the function? But why are you giving that presentation? You're probably doing it to an audience because you want to implement something for the next quarter or you did R&D and you're trying to figure out how that's going to impact the product that you have. There's usually some end game, Mm -hmm. right? And so if I'm trying to take anyone, any audience from where they are now to the end game, I have to figure out, is it going to be high information, high feeling, high whatever? And if science is telling me that they're going to make their decisions based off feeling, Mm-hmm. Then it's not lacking information. I become more strategic with my information. So rather than overloading them with a bunch of information that goes in one ear, not the next, and they walk away without any idea what I'm, what I'm supposed to do, I give them the right amount of information to capture their audience's feelings so then they can lead them to do the thing I want them to do. And I always give this caveat. I'm not talking about manipulation, right? Because that can sometimes yeah. be the thing. Oh, so we're just manipulating people. No, if I believe in the product, I don't think it's manipulation. If I'm just a shady salesperson or I'm coaching a shady sales team that's going to sell you a product that they know is garbage and Mm going to help people, that's manipulation. I'm just talking about how do I coach people Mm -hmm. into recognizing the feelings of their audience? What matters to them? Mm -hmm. What are their pain points? And how does your product or your service help meet that? And that is what opens up a lot of people's eyes. I never even thought about how I want my audience to feel then we might be missing opportunities to get that client, make that sale, introduce that product, whatever, because I didn't capture them where they're actually making their decisions. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. So my question for you is, so I can see why you're successful. And so let me go to that piece. So you and I talked about it as the warm up to the conversation, which is when you realize this was a talent that you had, there's a void out there. Mm. And so any thoughts as to if there's a void, there's a great need, True. right? And so people are searching for you. You're going to grow. True. How are you going to keep that balance? Have you thought okay. about that? It's a great question. Yeah. It is a great question. I'm not sure I have a, a set answer on it. This was already a slow process for me to believe I had something to give or an opportunity that I could step out in. And you're absolutely right. 
There are people who are reaching out. There are people who are interested. Maybe there'll be more after this episode. I love it. I love that aspect. Mm -hmm. I love the opportunity that I have. The balancing act is, that is a very real question. And so I try my best to balance life, family life, church life, and independent business life as best as I can and offer the services that I have. But that's a great question that is yet to be somewhat determined of what does that look like? And like you said, there's a void in this area. Mm-hmm. I tried to do a little bit of research to figure out, is there anyone else who offers this specific thing? I couldn't find anything, which is exciting when you're trying to offer mm-hmm. a service that just isn't there. And so I do want to bring help in this area, assistance in this area to the business leaders, the individuals of lacrosse, mm-hmm. greater lacrosse area. I do want to do that. I would love to be their go-to person. Yeah. And then down the road, figuring out that balancing act. And it's a balance, too, of this is me interjecting here. So if you are serving locally, it's easier to balance because you don't have the travel time Mm -hmm. factored in. There's obviously a need there. And we'll obviously talk about what you're doing to help locally. But the piece that I think is interesting. So you're entering what is a void. Sure. And you say, similar to everybody else, okay, this is new for me. (laughs) How do you charge? How do you figure out oh, what your tricky. value is, right? Yeah, that's been very, that's another difficult thing. And I wonder if part of it is just that ministry mindset, which is you just do things for free. Yes. So just, oh, know, trust me. I've worked so, in nonprofit so for 25 years. You from years. the nonprofit yeah. world into the profit world and you're kind of, oh my goodness. That seems so high. That's a high number. Yes. Things. So how have I navigated that? A couple ways. One is just trying to do as best as I can for market research, national market research. That is helpful to a sense mm-hmm. because now that we have this internet age, the virtual age, there is the difference like price gap between what you can charge in Chicago versus lacrosse. So I still get that. <laughs> but at the same time, you could hire your coach to virtually train you from anywhere in the world. So sometimes those prices are mixed. In a yes. Sense. I'm not going to L.A. to play L.A. prices. There is that globalization almost now that's happening within the United States. That yeah. I can have a trainer from anywhere. So I tried to do some national averages. What's a national average for what people charge, whether it's per hour, per day, per workshop. Those are across the board. Those Mm -hmm. somewhat helpful, somewhat irritating. Then I think some of the best assets that I've had has been asking local business leaders. Mm -hmm. People who have been so encouraging and influential in me stepping out in this and asking them, and some of them come from public speaking backgrounds or they host workshops, and I'll ask them, what do I do here? This seems like a large amount. I remember the first time I went to someone who was Misty Lowne, uh, yeah. Misty's Dance Unlimited. I can't speak highly enough of her because yep. she's been so encouraging in this whole process. And I remember she invited me one time to just come talk to one of her studio owners. They did a workshop and it wasn't even so much a practical skill set of public speaking. It was me coming in and talking about, can I be more than one thing? That was the topic because some of them are balancing a bunch of things. Can I do that? I remember coming in and she just said, okay, so what do you charge? And I gave a number and she said, no. What do you mean? No, that's not enough. That's what I, I love what, about Misty. Yes. What, what do you mean? That's not... And she goes, here's the thing. I will pay you what you're asking for, plus a little bit more. But I want you to know that in X amount of time, two years, I expect you to be charging this amount. And I was like. More, obviously. Oh, yes, right. Significantly yeah. more. And I was like, are you serious? So the pricing thing has been difficult. And yeah. sometimes I think I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. And sometimes it's having to sit down and explain to people, okay, here's the price point. Here's what you're getting. This is what it means. This is what I think. This is how I think you're going to develop in the process. 
And then I tell people every time it is an investment. It is an investment. I get that it's an investment. But hopefully what I'm able to do is cast a vision for what that investment's going to bring them in their life. Mm-hmm. But Vicky, my goodness, money is still a still a difficult one. What do you charge? What do you t- Yeah. Especially and we all have been there where you can feel this person putting a price out there, but their brain is just like, oh, is that the right price point? And then you want to start going, oh, I can do less well, if do you I yeah. change it or yeah. I can modify it. I could take this away. And just, yeah. Yeah. So it's been leaning a lot on mentors. Ministry world, teaching in general. I've had years of experience in that. Yeah. The business world is still very much leaning on some mentors and helpers to to lead me in that process. Yeah. Courage and give insight. And so it's been a difficult thing, but usually it's about Here's the value. Here's what you're getting. What is it worth to you? Yeah. If you improve on this, if you don't. Yes. Yeah. And so what's been encouraging is I'll hear some people who say, oh, that's just the price that you're charging. That's okay. That's one sale for me or that's one client for me. Mm-hmm. And once they get that mentality is, okay, so for the cost of one client or one sale or one closing, I get this. And then that could help me for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's worth it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of your clients, have they been a company that hires you and then you go speak to their individuals or like why I ask is because yeah. you have a workshop coming up. I or, do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. At the Charmat. Yeah. Most to, locally, most of what I've done out of the California company, Moxie Institute has been companies. They contact yep. Moxie. Moxie hires me to go teach them as a company as a whole. Locally, it's been more, it started with the one-on-one coaching clients. Okay. And now it is gone into two or three companies now who have said, would you come in and do a workshop for us? Okay. Locally, it started more than one-on-one and the workshops are starting to build. So it goes both ways. Those are the two services, basically. One-on-one coaching and in-person workshops Yeah, locally. So the workshop is an interesting way for the budget conscious to say, okay, this is a way for me to enter and they'll meet other colleagues of wanting, not obviously not in the same uh, industry potentially, but there's a networking piece to it. There is. Yeah. But they also are somewhat cost sharing and it's local people. So yes. what does that workshop look like and when is it? Yeah. So the workshop is May 23rd and 24th here in historic downtown La Crosse at the Charmont. So just a block away from here. And it looks like two days of me combining together almost all the services that I've offered otherwise into a very unique experience. Because rather than saying my company is going to pay for you to come teach on one of these topics and only to this company, it's open to anyone. So I'm going to take the three main workshops that I offer, which is one of them is just the mechanics of public speaking. All of those little nitpicky issues that we're so conscious of, filler words, breathing, nerves, tone, body language, all of that. We're going to have a high level upskilling workshop on that. One on how do I create a presentation from original idea to delivering it. How do I piece it together, organize it so it's concise, it's powerful, it's to the point, it's audience centric, a high level workshop on that. And then one specifically on storytelling. So those are the three workshops. And then in addition to that, you're going to have group discussion times, exercise times where you're going to start low hanging fruit, where you introduce yourself. By the time of the two day thing is done, you're giving a full presentation in front of a group. You're getting that immediate feedback from myself and peers. So that's not just, I went to this national convention, we learned a bunch of stuff, and now hypothetically I'm supposed to apply it. It's within two days, you're learning concept, you're discussing it, you're actually applying it, you're getting feedback. So you're getting that whole loop, right? Information, feedback, discussion, rehearsal, all of it that you're going to get 
all the food's provided by the Charmant. So all the lunches, breakfasts are from the Charmant. And then I'm hosting a two-hour all-inclusive happy hour networking social. So the unique thing is you're going to have people from all different industries. You mm -hmm. never know. Maybe the person who is here as a real estate agent could come to your nonprofit benefit that's happening over here, or this mm -hmm. person might be able to benefit you. Mm -hmm. So trying to bring some of the different business industries together as well during that social. And then on top of all that, you'll leave with six one-on-one -on -one sessions with me as a follow-up. So you have the two days of high-level learning, interactions, discussions, small groups, meals, happy hour, drinks around me. And then you'll leave there and have six sessions one-on-one -on -one where we can start identifying your specific needs, skill sets, helping you craft your presentations, sales pitches, whatever that you can use throughout the rest of 2024. So it's two days plus yeah. a year of upskilling and professional development. Yeah. All and in it's one it's accountability too, right? So you didn't just leave a conference and your notes go sitting on a right. desk somewhere. This yeah. is what are you doing to implement the things yeah. that you learned? Yes. The other intriguing thing about your workshop is I think about the companies that have paid you to come in mm -hmm. and now they say there's a new person. Mm -hmm. So your workshop is an opportunity to capture those one-offs to say, yeah, hey, sure. I have this workshop. Yeah. Rather than coming back to the company, you come to the workshop yeah. and you'll be up to speed with sure. everybody Absolutely. else. Absolutely. And yeah. then you're starting to bring people into lacrosse. Yes. And that gets exciting yes. from that perspective, yes. too. Yeah. So, yeah. The yeah. unique el element of that's not just for one company. Yeah. Right. It is exclusive. So it's a small number of people yeah. solely so that I can have that one on one training opportunity, feedback opportunity. I could host it for 200 people, but then you're not going to get that same connection. Connection. Absolutely. So it's smaller, 15 spots total that it's open to. And then you get that one on one attention plus the session afterwards. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I am excited. It's an, an amazing opportunity for lacrosse as yeah. well. Yeah. So I have a common closer question. Oh, yes. What makes you passionate about what you do? And so you do two different things. So you can answer that however you would like. So in the church world, in the ministry world, what gives me passion is I see people find their value. I like that. Mm -hmm. I see them connecting to something beyond the mundane every day, that there is life out there, that there's beauty out there. And so the three phrases I've been using more and more with people when I meet with them or talk to them is that one, life is beautiful. And I want people to know that life truly is beautiful. This experience is beautiful. It's filled with ups and downs. Yes, but life is beautiful. Two, moments matter. We're so easy to skip over it. I just want to get to the next moment in my life. I just want to get to the next thing, especially when it's a difficult moment. We want to skip those difficult ones because I want this to be part of my history, not my present. <laughs> Life is beautiful. Moments matter. And number three, when I sink into those moments, I find the divine. I find God when I sink into those moments. I think so often I talk to people and they think, I went through this situation in my life. God must not have been there because mm -hmm. it was difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying, what I'm hearing them say is, God didn't show up the way that I needed him to. So he must not have been there. Mm -hmm. And instead, when I'm not recognizing his I take away God's ability to be a comforter in sadness mm -hmm. because I didn't want to go through the sad thing in the first place, mm -hmm. right? I, yeah. I take away God's ability to be mourning with me because he didn't heal it in the first place. Yeah. And so I try to encourage people, this is what I love in the ministry world, is that I try to encourage people that life is beautiful, moments matter. And when I sink into all moments of life, mm -hmm. the bad, playing with my girls, I'm a girl dad. Mm -hmm. And when it's difficult, and there's a disease or a diagnosis or a frustration or a relationship or a financial situation, and I sink into that moment, I can still find God there. Mm -hmm. 
and that there's hope in that. That's what I love doing in the ministry side. Yeah, that's in beautiful. My speaker side, mm-hmm. it's, I love seeing people find their voice and use it confidently. And we don't have time for the stories of just being able to find people. And I sit down with them and you see them go from flushed out red, hyperventilating to standing in front of a group of people an hour later, mm-hmm. giving their presentation and they start crying yeah. and looking at me and just saying, thank you. I did it. For helping me find my voice. That's amazing. Seeing, now there's new opportunities for you. There's new opportunities for your companies. You, know, you were able to get over that hurdle, find your voice, and speak it with confidence. What a That's gift what you I give love. in I both realms. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. You have been listening to John Reiner. This is BizCast Greater Lacrosse. We will catch you next week.